Section 17 of Self-Help. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Sonrisa, SirVision.org. Self-Help with Illustrations of Conduct and Perseverance by Samuel Smiles. Section 17, Chapter 6, Workers in Art, Part 4. Another striking exemplification of perseverance and industry in the cultivation of art in humble life is presented in the career of James Sharples, a working blacksmith at Blackburn. He was born at Wakefield in Yorkshire in 1825, one of a family of thirteen children. His father was a working iron founder and removed to Bury to follow his business. The boys received no school education, but were all sent to work as soon as they were able, and at about ten James was placed in a foundry, where he was employed for about two years as a smithy boy. After that he was sent into the engine shop, where his father worked as engine smith. The boy's employment was to heat and carry rivets for the boilermakers. Though his hours of labor were very long, often from six in the morning until eight at night, his father contrived to give him some little teaching after working hours, and it was thus that he partially learned his letters. An incident occurred in the course of his employment among the boilermakers, which first awakened in him the desire to learn drawing. He had occasionally been employed by the foreman to hold the chalked line with which he made the designs of boilers upon the floor of the workshop, and on such occasions the foreman was accustomed to hold the line and direct the boy to make the necessary dimensions. James soon became so expert at this as to be of considerable service to the foreman, and at his leisure hours at home his great delight was to practice drawing designs of boilers upon his mother's floor. On one occasion, when a female relative was expected from Manchester to pay the family a visit and the house had been made as decent as possible for her reception, the boy, on coming in from the foundry in the evening, began his usual operations upon the floor. He had proceeded some way with his design of a large boiler in chalk when his mother arrived with the visitor, and to her dismay found the boy unwashed and the floor chalked all over. The relative, however, professed to be pleased with the boy's industry, praised his design, and recommended his mother to provide the little sweep, as she called him, with paper and pencils. Encouraged by his elder brother, he began to practice figure and landscape drawing, making copies of lithographs, but as yet without any knowledge of the rules of perspective and the principles of light and shade. He worked on, however, and gradually acquired expertness in copying. At sixteen, he entered the Bury Mechanics Institution in order to attend the drawing class taught by an amateur who followed the trade of a barber. There he had a lesson a week during three months. The teacher recommended him to obtain from the library Burnett's Practical Treatise on Painting, but as he could not yet read with ease, he was under the necessity of getting his mother, and sometimes his elder brother, to read passages from the book for him while he sat by and listened. Feeling hampered by his ignorance of the art of reading, and eager to master the contents of Burnett's book, he ceased attending the drawing class at the Institute after the first quarter, and devoted himself to learning reading and writing at home. 
in this he soon succeeded and when he again entered the institute and took out burnet a second time he was not only able to read it but to make written extracts for further use so ardently did he study the volume that he used to rise at four o'clock in the morning to read it and copy out passages after which he went to the foundry at six worked until six and sometimes eight in the evening and returned home to enter with fresh zest upon the study of burnet which he continued often until a late hour parts of his nights were also occupied in drawing and making copies of drawings on one of these a copy of leonardo da vinci's last supper he spent an entire night he went to bed indeed but his mind was so engrossed with the subject that he could not sleep and rose again to resume his pencil he next proceeded to try his hand at painting in oil for which purpose he procured some canvas from a draper stretched it on a frame coated it over with white lead and began painting on it with colours bought from a house painter but his work proved a total failure for the canvas was rough and knotty and the paint would not dry in his extremity he applied to his old teacher the barber from whom he first learnt that prepared canvas was to be had and that there were colours and varnishes made for the special purpose of oil painting as soon therefore as his means would allow he bought a small stock of the necessary articles and began afresh his amateur master showing him how to paint and the pupil succeeded so well that he excelled the master's copy his first picture was a copy from an engraving called sheep shearing and was afterwards sold by him for half a crown aided by a shilling guide to oil painting he went on working at his leisure hours and gradually acquired a better knowledge of his materials he made his own easel and palette palette knife and paint chest he bought his paint brushes and canvas as he could raise the money by working overtime this was the slender fund which his parents consented to allow him for the purpose the burden of supporting a very large family precluding them from doing more often he would walk to manchester and back in the evenings to buy two or three shillings worth of paint and canvas returning almost at midnight after his eighteen miles walk sometimes wet through and completely exhausted but borne up throughout by his inexhaustible hope and invincible determination the further progress of the self-taught artist is best narrated in his own words as communicated by him in a letter to the author the next pictures i painted he says were a landscape by moonlight a fruit piece and one or two others after which i conceived the idea of painting the forge i had for some time thought about it but had not attempted to embody the conception in a drawing i now however made a sketch of the subject upon paper and then proceeded to paint it on the canvas the picture simply represents the interior of a large workshop such as i have been accustomed to work in although not of any particular shop it is therefore to this extent an original conception having made an outline of the subject i found that before i could proceed with it successfully a knowledge of anatomy was indispensable to enable me accurately to delineate the muscles of the figures my brother peter came to my assistance at this juncture and kindly purchased for me flaxman's anatomical studies a work altogether beyond my means at the time for it cost twenty-four shillings this book i looked upon as a great treasure and i studied it laboriously rising at three o'clock in the morning to draw after it and occasionally getting my brother peter to stand for me as a model at that untimely hour 
Although I gradually improved myself by this practice, it was some time before I felt sufficient confidence to go on with my picture. I also felt hampered by my want of knowledge of perspective, which I endeavored to remedy by carefully studying Brooke Taylor's principles, and shortly after I resumed my painting. While engaged in the study of perspective at home, I used to apply for and obtain leave to work at the heavier kinds of smith work at the foundry, and for this reason, the time required for heating the heaviest iron work is so much longer than that required for heating the lighter, that it enabled me to secure a number of spare minutes in the course of the day, which I carefully employed in making diagrams in perspective upon the sheet-iron casing in front of the hearth at which I worked." Thus assiduously working and studying, James Sharples steadily advanced in his knowledge of the principles of art, and acquired greater facility in its practice. Some eighteen months after the expiry of his apprenticeship, he painted a portrait of his father, which attracted considerable notice in the town, as also did the picture of The Forge, which he finished soon after. His success in portrait painting obtained for him a commission from the foreman of the shop to paint a family group, and Sharples executed it so well that the foreman not only paid him the agreed price of eighteen pounds, but thirty shillings to boot. While engaged on this group he ceased to work at the foundry, and he had thoughts of giving up his trade altogether and devoting himself exclusively to painting. He proceeded to paint several pictures, amongst others a head of Christ, an original conception, life-size, and a view of Bury, but not obtaining sufficient employment at portraits to occupy his time or give him the prospect of a steady income he had the good sense to resume his leather apron and go on working at his honest trade of a blacksmith employing his leisure hours in engraving his picture of the forge since published he was induced to commence the engraving by the following circumstance a manchester picture dealer to whom he showed the painting let drop the observation that in the hands of a skilful engraver it would make a very good print sharples immediately conceived the idea of engraving it himself though altogether ignorant of the art the difficulties which he encountered and successfully overcame in carrying out his project are thus described by himself i had seen an advertisement of a sheffield steel plate maker giving a list of the prices at which he supplied plates of various sizes and fixing upon one of suitable dimensions, I remitted the amount, together with a small additional sum for which I requested him to send me a few engraving tools. I could not specify the articles wanted, for I did not then know anything about the process of engraving. However, there duly arrived with the plate three or four gravers and an etching needle. The latter I spoiled before I knew its use. While working at the plate, the amalgamated society of engineers offered a premium for the best design for an emblematical picture for which i determined to compete and i was so fortunate as to win the prize shortly after this i removed to blackburn where i obtained employment at messrs yates engineers as an engine smith and continued to employ my leisure time in drawing painting and engraving as before with the engraving i made but very slow progress owing to the difficulties i experienced from not possessing proper tools i then determined to try to make some that would suit my purpose and after several failures i succeeded in making many that i have used in the course of my engraving 
i was also greatly at a loss for want of a proper magnifying glass and part of the plate was executed with no other assistance of this sort than what my father's spectacles afforded though i afterwards succeeded in obtaining a proper magnifier which was of the utmost use to me an incident occurred while i was engraving the plate which had almost caused me to abandon it altogether it sometimes happened that i was obliged to lay it aside for a considerable time when other work pressed and in order to guard it against rust i was accustomed to rub over the graven parts with oil but on examining the plate after one of such intervals i found that the oil had become a dark sticky substance extremely difficult to get out i tried to pick it out with a needle but found that it would almost take as much time as to engrave the parts afresh i was in great despair at this but at length hit upon the expedient of boiling it in water containing soda and afterwards rubbing the engraved parts with a toothbrush and to my delight found the plan succeeded perfectly my greatest difficulties now over patience and perseverance were all that were needed to bring my labours to a successful issue i had neither advice nor assistance from any one in finishing the plate if therefore the work possess any merit i can claim it as my own and if in its accomplishment i have contributed to show what can be done by persevering industry and determination it is all the honour i wish to lay claim to it would be beside our purpose to enter upon any criticism of the forge as an engraving its merits having been already fully recognised by the art journals the execution of the work occupied Sharple's leisure evening hours during a period of five years, and it was only when he took the plate to the printer that he for the first time saw an engraved plate produced by any other man. To this unvarnished picture of industry and genius we add one other trait, and it is a domestic one. "'I have been married seven years,' says he, "'and during that time my greatest pleasure, after I have finished my daily labour at the foundry,' has been to resume my pencil or graver frequently until a late hour of the evening my wife meanwhile sitting by my side and reading to me from some interesting book a simple but beautiful testimony to the thorough common sense as well as the genuine right-heartedness of this most interesting and deserving workman the same industry and application which we have found to be necessary in order to acquire excellence in painting and sculpture are equally required in the sister art of music the one being the poetry of form and colour the other of the sounds of nature handel was an indefatigable and constant worker he was never cast down by defeat but his energy seemed to increase the more that adversity struck him when a prey to his mortifications as an insolvent debtor he did not give way for a moment but in one year produced his saul israel the music for dryden's ode his twelve grand concertos and the opera of jupiter in argos among the finest of his works as his biographer says of him he braved everything and by his unaided self accomplished the work of twelve men haydn speaking of his art said it consists in taking up a subject and pursuing it work said mozart is my chief pleasure beethoven's favourite maxim was the barriers are not erected which can say to aspiring talents and industry thus far and no farther when moscheli submitted his score of fidelio for the pianoforte to beethoven the latter found written at the bottom of the last page fini with god's help 
Beethoven immediately wrote underneath, O oh man, help thyself. This was the motto of his artistic life. John Sebastian Bach said of himself, I was industrious. Whoever is equally sedulous will be equally successful. But there is no doubt that Bach was born with a passion for music which formed the mainspring of his industry and was the true secret of his success. When a mere youth, his elder brother, wishing to turn his abilities in another direction, destroyed a collection of studies which the young Sebastian, being denied candles, had copied by moonlight, proving the strong natural bent of the boy's genius. Of Meyerbeer, Bale thus wrote from Milan in 1820, he is a man of some talent, but no genius. He lives solitary, working fifteen hours a day at music. Years passed, and Meyerbeer's hard work fully brought out his genius, as displayed in his Roberto, Huguenots, Profete, and other works, confessedly among the greatest operas which have been produced in modern times. Although musical composition is not an art in which Englishmen have as yet greatly distinguished themselves, their energies for the most part take in other and more practical directions, we are not without native illustrations of the power of perseverance in this special pursuit. Arne was an upholsterer's son, intended by his father for the legal profession, but his love of music was so great that he could not be withheld from pursuing it. While engaged in an attorney's office, his means were very limited, but to gratify his tastes, he was accustomed to borrow a livery and go into the gallery of the opera, then appropriated to domestics. Unknown to his father, he made great progress with the violin, and the first knowledge his father had of the circumstance was one accidentally calling at the house of a neighboring gentleman. To his surprise and consternation, he found his son playing the leading instrument with a party of musicians. This incident decided the fate of Arne. His father offered no further opposition to his wishes, and the world thereby lost a lawyer, but gained a musician of much taste and delicacy of feeling, who added many valuable works to our stores of English music. The career of the late William Jackson, author of The Deliverance of Israel, an oratorio which has been successfully performed in the principal towns of his native county of York, furnishes an interesting illustration of the triumph of perseverance over difficulties in the pursuit of musical science. He was the son of a miller at Massam, a little town situated in the valley of the Yore, in the northwest corner of Yorkshire. Musical taste seems to have been hereditary in the family, for his father played the fife in the band of the Massam volunteers, and was a singer in the parish choir. His grandfather also was a leading singer and ringer at Massam Church and one of the boy's earliest musical treats was to be present at the bell-peeling on Sunday mornings. During the service his wonder was still more excited by the organist's performance on the barrel-organ, the doors of which were thrown open behind to let the sound fully into the church, by which the stops, pipes, barrels, staples, keyboard, and jacks were fully exposed to the wonderment of the little boys sitting in the gallery behind, and to none more than our young musician. At eight years of age he began to play upon his father's old fife, which, however, would not sound D, but his mother remedied the difficulty by buying for him a one-keyed flute, and shortly after a gentleman of the neighborhood presented him with a flute with four silver keys. As the boy made no progress with his book-learning, being fonder of cricket, fives, and boxing than of his school lessons, the village schoolmaster, giving him up as a bad job, 
his parents sent him off to school at Pateley Bridge. While there he found congenial society in a club of village choral singers at Brighouse Gate, and with them he learnt the sol fa ing gamut on the old English plan. He was thus well drilled in the reading of music in which he soon became a proficient. His progress astonished the club, and he returned home full of musical ambition. He now learnt to play upon his father's old piano, but with little melodious result, and he became eager to possess a finger-organ, but had no means of procuring one. About this time a neighbouring parish clerk had purchased, for an insignificant sum, a small disabled barrel-organ, which had gone the circuit of the northern counties with a show. The clerk tried to revive the tones of the instrument, but failed. At last he bethought him that he would try the skill of young Jackson, who had succeeded in making some alterations and improvements in the hand-organ of the parish church. He accordingly brought it to the lad's house in a donkey-cart, and in a short time the instrument was repaired and played over its old tunes again, greatly to the owner's satisfaction. The thought now haunted the youth that he could make a barrel-organ, and he determined to do so his father and he set to work and though without practice in carpentering yet by dint of hard labour and after many failures they at last succeeded and an organ was constructed which played ten tunes very decently and the instrument was generally regarded as a marvel in the neighbourhood young jackson was now frequently sent for to repair old church organs and to put new music upon the barrels which he added to them all this he accomplished to the satisfaction of his employers, after which he proceeded with the construction of a four-stop finger-organ, adapting to it the keys of an old harpsichord. This he learnt to play upon, studying Calcott's thorough bass in the evening, and working at his trade of a miller during the day, occasionally also tramping about the country as a cadger, with an ass and a cart during summer he worked in the fields at turnip time hay time and harvest but was never without the solace of music in his leisure evening hours he next tried his hand at musical composition and twelve of his anthems were shown to the late mr camidge of york as the production of a miller's lad of fourteen mr camidge was pleased with them marked the objectionable passages and returned them with the encouraging remark that they did the youth great credit and that he must go on writing a village band having been set on foot at massam young jackson joined it and was ultimately appointed leader he played all the instruments by turns and thus acquired a considerable practical knowledge of his art he also composed numerous tunes for the band a new finger organ having been presented to the parish church he was appointed the organist he now gave up his employment as a journeyman miller and commenced tallow-chandling, still employing his spare hours in the study of music. In 1839 he published his first anthem, For Joy Let Fertile Valleys Sing, and in the following year he gained the first prize from the Huddersfield Glee Club for his Sisters of the Lee. His other anthem, God Be Merciful to Us, and the 103rd Psalm, written for a double chorus and orchestra, are well known in the midst of these minor works jackson proceeded with the composition of his oratorio the deliverance of israel from babylon his practice was to jot down a sketch of the ideas as they presented themselves to his mind and to write them out in score in the evenings after he had left his work in the candle shop his oratorio was published in parts in the course of eighteen forty four to forty five 
and he published the last chorus on his twenty-ninth birthday the work was exceedingly well received and has been frequently performed with much success in the northern towns mr jackson eventually settled as a professor of music at bradford where he contributed in no small degree to the cultivation of the musical taste of that town and its neighbourhood some years since he had the honour of leading his fine company of bradford choral singers before her majesty at buckingham palace on which occasion as well as at the crystal palace some choral pieces of his composition were performed with great effect such is a brief outline of the career of a self-taught musician whose life affords but another illustration of the power of self-help and the force of courage and industry in enabling a man to surmount and overcome early difficulties and obstructions of no ordinary kind end of section seventeen